0: Do you have your Bibles? Good. All right, let's get them o- open to Matthew chapter 5. If you do not have a Bible, I want you to raise your hand. And uh, we're going to put one in your hand. And you can have this Bible. It can be yours. And, uh, but we want you to, to open it up. Turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew is like almost right in the center of the Bible. But a little bit over to the right. And that's the first book of the New Testament. And we're going to do something that we've not done in 20 years. We're going to read a passage, the main passage of Scripture, without putting it on the screen. You're like, oh, no. We want you, we want you to get into your Bible right now. Okay? So we're, we're actually forcing it. Um, so hopefully you'll—we uh, want, you want you to know your word, know the book, know where things are on the page. And uh, hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll be able to do that right now. So let's read uh, let's read this passage in Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 and 16. Jesus says this, you're the you're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light on uh, light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but instead on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I want to give you a little point of reference, if I could, as to the the location where Jesus is teaching. He's on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. You can see this on the screen, all right? Um, Jesus would have been standing Kind of up in this area right here. They actually have a church there now. Uh, Pretty much everything in Israel that is important, they just put a church on it, which is kind of terrible. But, um, anyways, Jesus would have been right up here, probably standing on a large rock, and overlooking, he would have been standing overlooking um, this large uh, hillside, and in the audience would have been his 12 disciples who he had already called. There would have been many, many, many other people. Where he was speaking, I've, I've been there. Many of you have been there as well. Um, just great acoustics. And so you have this beautiful, um, you know, just place, this backdrop, where behind Jesus, would have this, is, this would have been Jesus' view right there. He would have been looking over the Sea of Galilee. Now, what was his message? Well, as Jesus got up to preach, for the very first time that we have record of, Jesus is saying this to his disciples and all who were, who were listening. What I'm about to say to you is what it means to be a follower of mine. It, this is what it means to be a disciple. This is what a fully devoted follower of, of Jesus looks like, and this is how you are to live your life. Um, And I want you to know that as he speaks, and we're going to see this over the next several weeks, he didn't mince words, he didn't hold back, he didn't beat around the bush. He speaks with passion, he speaks with love, he speaks with grace and truth. Matter of fact, it's the perfect balance of grace and truth, not 50 percent, 50 percent. Jesus was 100 percent truth and 100 percent grace. That's why it's the best sermon ever, spoken by the greatest teacher ever. Now, as Jesus is teaching, you notice that we didn't read the Beatitudes, and we did that on purpose because uh, we've done the, the Beatitudes series a couple times here at Westridge. And so, uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Paul and I put those online in eight little sermonettes, and you can go to uh, westridge dot com slash beatitudes, and you can find those. and We want you to use those in your small group. We want you to use those with your family or just in your private um, time with God, where you can just—they're about. Uh, five to eight minutes long, each one of them. So take advantage of that. Well, why does Jesus begin talking about salt and light? Why does he reference salt and light? Well, one of the things about Jesus' teaching is that he liked to refer to things that were culturally relevant to the people that were listening. And here he uses salt and light because they would have, he talks about salt, talked about light. Those were two things that were very important to the people back then. I mean, we value them today. We need both of them, but they're very different. Salt is, is hardly seen. If, you're, if you use too little of it on your food, you, can t- you can't taste any difference. But if you use too much of it, it will ruin your food. On the other hand, light is very visible, but too much light will cause you to look away or it'll cause you to put your hand up in front of your face to, to kind of shield your eyes. Not enough light can make the environment you're in feel unsafe. Now, there's a profound reason why Jesus used these objects to make his point. And here it is. Salt represents your influence in this world, okay? Light represents, come on with me, right? Light represents your testimony in this world. Now, what exactly does salt do? Well, believe it or not, there is a website from the Salt Institute that gives over 14,000 uses of salt. And fortunately for you today, we're only going to talk about three of them. First of all, we know it enhances taste. Now, I'm one of those people, and I know this is not healthy, but I'm one of those people that when I sit down at a table, I'm looking for the salt shaker. Anyone else like me? All right. Some of you are shaking your head going, bad pastor, bad. I, gotta, I'm don't, I know it's bad. You don't need to talk to me out of the surface. But here's the thing. You put a bowl of soup in front of me that doesn't have salt, it's bland. You put french fries in front of me that doesn't have salt on it, it's nasty. All right. It needs salt. Well, when you apply salt to food, what does it do? It unleashes the flavor. To me, it does. Jesus says, You are salt. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus says, you are God's seasoning in this world. Just as salt adds zest and flavor to food, our job is to follow Jesus in such a passionate way that our very presence adds some flavor to the world around us. Now, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Because some of you may have a different idea of what it means to, in a way to use your influence. Being salt is showing the, love, showing the world what true love actually look, looks like. It's it's walking through really tough times in a marriage, being willing to stick in there. It, it's, it's loving a friend through a horrible situation. It's, it's also being willing to, to offer real, true forgiveness. It's being quick to offer forgiveness to those who, who have wronged you or attacked you or maybe wounded you. It's, it's, it's extending authentic grace to people who, who maybe don't actually deserve it. See, that kind of living makes Christianity tasty because it goes against culture. It, it adds some zest and flavor to the mix. Salt also preserves. Now, back in the time when this, when this was written, people obviously didn't have refrigerators. And so in order to keep meat from rotting, to keep it from spoiling, they would cover it in salt. What would salt do? Well, it kept the food from, from decay. If you've ever had a sore on your, uh, you know, on, on, on your face or a cut on your arm or a leg or something like that, one of, the, one of the things that people tell you to do is go swim in the ocean. Why? So the sharks can get you. No, because the salt in the water helps to disinfect and heal the wound. Now just think about the people in your life for just a moment. I want you to think for a moment about your neighbors, your family, the people, maybe your coworkers, just your circle of friends. Who is that person that is in your group that is helping to bring healing to fractured relationships in the world? We call them a, a, maybe a person of peace. Who is the voice in your family? That when everything is going crazy, they're speaking peace, they're speaking calm. Who's that voice in your family that is just simply challenging you maybe to walk in obedience to God's word? Who just makes you want to be a better person? We call that person the salt of the earth. You ever ever met someone before and you go, man, that, that guy right there, he's just the salt of the earth. That lady's just the salt of the earth. Why? Because just their very presence makes us want to be a better person. God wants us to influence our friends in the world around us to make right decisions. And being salt, helps things around us not to decay, not to spoil, not to rot. The third thing is it creates thirst. Now, have you ever noticed how thirsty you are after eating some pizza? I mean, you're just like, man, give me a two liter of Coke. Or, or you're eating potato chips and you're just like, you're just looking for something to drink. Why? Because th- those things are salty and salt creates thirst. And Jesus says, you're salt. In other words, God wants you to partner with the Holy Spirit and to live in such a way that people are thirsty for the things of God. They're thirsty for righteousness. They're thirsty for a relationship with Jesus just because they're around you. And I think this is a great challenge for all of us, adults, students, children. It's, uh, listen, Jesus calls us to live our lives in such a way that our influence permeates culture, permeates our workplace. Students, your life permeates your school because you're salt. In other words, enough of conforming to the culture, enough of letting the culture influence influencing us and, and actually dictate how we're going to live or dictate To us what's acceptable or what's normal in society. Jesus looks out at this big crowd in front of him and he says, listen, being salt means that I want you to influence culture, change the culture, not by picketing, not by fighting, not by boycotting, not by rioting, but living your life in such a way that it makes culture actually thirst for righteousness, thirst for what's different inside of us. Let culture see the love that we have for God and the love that we have for other people. Because when they'll see it, when they see it, Jesus says, they'll be drawn to it. It's your influence. Now, here's a few challenges when it relates to salt. First of all, in order for salt to be effective and make a difference, it has to come out of the shaker. All right, in other words, we have to get out of the church. We have to get out of our, sometimes our little Bible studies. Although they're good, we've got to get out of them if we're going to engage society. And we can't walk in fear when we're out there in culture or in the world. We have to understand that we have been placed in the world with all of the power that we need through the Holy Spirit indwelling us to be change agents of redemption. Another challenge is salt that that is polluted by the world loses its purpose and becomes useless. Back in Jesus' day salt was gathered in such a way that sometimes dirt would get in it or, or maybe other impurities would get in it, you know, get mixed in it. And, and when that happens, salt just became useless. And so Jesus said that when that happens, it just needs to be thrown on the ground so that people can just walk on it. They can just, tram- that's all it's good for. In verse 13, he says, "How if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be, it's, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, over here, I have uh, two, two salt shakers, um, and, and one is obviously the real deal. This has got real salt in it. The other one has real salt in it as well. But in this one, there's some dirt in here. There's actually some pepper in here. Now, if you're sitting at a table with bland food, you've got a bowl of soup in front of you that has no seasoning in it, I mean, which one of these are you going to grab? I'm going for this one right here. And whether you believe it or not, the people that God has placed in your life You may not feel this way, but they are longing for this. They want this. When they are looking for real answers to life's questions, this is what they want. When they are struggling or suffering or when they actually come to the end of their rope with life, they're not reaching for this. They're looking for this. They want the real deal. But how can we influence the world for Christ? How can we influence culture for Christ when when your life actually kind of looks like this? when it's actually polluted by sin, when it's got just all kinds of impurities in this. Jesus actually says to, to, to him, to, 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 in his purposes, this is useless. It's useless. It's only good for one thing, to be trampled on. Listen, I believe our time to influence culture is right now. Now, I, I realize I, this window is closing. People are walking away from Christianity and, and, and the church in droves, especially in our younger generation's. But listen, there are still thousands and thousands of people all over the world who are who are looking at Jesus, many for the very first time, and they want to know the question. They want to know the answer to the question. Is he the real deal? Is he the true way to heaven? Do Christians actually serve the one true God? Well, how are they, how will they know this? Our words are important, but our actions and the way we live, the way we love each other, the way that we're fully devoted to Jesus Christ in every area will be what the Holy Spirit uses to draw people to Jesus. That's why Jesus told us that we are salt. Why? Because salt is a change agent. It's an influencer. It adds flavor. It adds zest. It, adds, it preserves. It makes people thirsty. Now look at for just a moment at light. We're going to switch gears here for a moment. Here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus mentions two sources of light. Now think back for just a moment again to where Jesus is teaching. He's standing on a pretty good, pretty good hill here, and, and, and the first source of light he mentions is a city on a hill. Now, those who were listening, they would have immediately known what Jesus was talking about. And they probably would have thought about the little tiny cities that were just kind of built into the hills around the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now during, during the daytime, if you were out in a boat, you might not have noticed these little tiny cities sucked, you know, just kind of tucked into the rocks. But at night, people could see them from miles around. You couldn't hide a city on a hill because all it would take would be one light source to expose it for the whole world to see. The second light source that Jesus mentions is a lamp. Now back in Jesus' day, typically uh, houses had maybe one room, probably no more than two rooms. And as evening drew near, they would take a table that probably would be pushed up against a wall that had pots and baskets on it. And they would take all that off and they'd put it in the middle of the room, probably a low table. And they would then put a lamp on that table to just everybody, you know, could get ready for supper. And as they lit that lamp, it would just light up everybody's faces, And so as Jesus is speaking about that, people knew exactly what he was talking about. And so the thought of of putting a pot or a basket over the light would have been absolutely ridiculous because everybody knew that it would have just darkened the whole house. you You couldn't see each other. So Jesus looks across this crowd with this beautiful sea in the background, and he says, you are light. Now, understand this. Jesus is not making a suggestion that we are salt and light, he's not actually even commanding us to be salt and light. He's actually saying, you are light. You are actually salt. You're the light of the world. Now, what does light do? Well, we know that it exposes darkness. What happens, what happens as soon as you turn off a light, a light switch in a room? Well, all of a sudden, I mean, the light I mean, just goes away and every, everything becomes dark. But as soon as you flip that switch on, the darkness is exposed by the light and the light and, and the darkness begins to disappear. Now, when I was younger, um, we lived in uh, just a couple miles outside of the city limits of Detroit, and a little tiny Cape Cod house, and we had a basement, and I grew up afraid of the dark. I had some cousins that really terrorized me when I was really young, and so from about four until about age 15, we lived in this house, and, and, and in the basement of this house was a lot of you know, things I would play with, things my, you know, where I would run around, especially when it would get cold and snow all over the place. The challenge with this house and me being afraid of the dark is that the light switch was at the bottom of the stairs. Who does that? Just people that want to terrorize kids like me. And so I would literally stand in the kitchen, and I would psych myself up to go down those steps, And I would, there'd be times I would just jump down the last four steps. And as soon as I got down there, man, I would hit that light switch and it was all of a sudden everything was good. You know, it was like, I could see there was no monsters anywhere. Dracula was still dead. I mean, it was, it was just, there were a few moments, however, where my mom would be standing down there and she'd scare me. As soon as I hit the light switch on, she'd tap me on the shoulder and I'd be like, boo! And I'm like, whoa! And people would, why are you so messed up? Because of things like that. All right? I love you, Mom. It's bad. All right. Just fun things about growing up. In the Bible, light is a symbol of the presence of God. John chapter 8, verse 12, again, it says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, talking to his disciples, saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What does that mean? Jesus tells us that he's the light of the world, and when he lives inside of us, we become a light that shines in our lives. John says that we have the light of life, but without the light, people, what are they doing? They're walking in darkness, and there are people all around us. The Bible tells us that they're actually dead in sin because their life is void of the light of life. Their their, their light has never, their life's never been exposed to the the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ, and many of you have friends right now. I mean, they're, they're just spiritually lost. They're, they're living just just all-out sinful lives. And you're like, what's wrong with these people? Or you're looking at culture and you're like, we judge these people. And we're like, what is wrong with these people? They don't have the light of life inside of them. There's nothing inside of them that is causing them to be convicted of their sin. And so we look at people who like, the world's falling apart. No, they're acting exactly how they're wired to act. Dead in their sin. Because they've never been exposed to the darkness. Their, their darkness has never been exposed to the light. But listen, isn't it amazing what happens when someone who is lost in darkness gets exposed to the light of Christ and then the Holy Spirit begins to penetrate that darkness? It's like someone just flips a light switch on inside of their life. The presence of light makes the darkness disappear. Jesus says... You have the light of life. It's inside of you. In other words, when the Holy Spirit, he can use the way you live your life, he can use your testimony to shine a light into someone else's life, to lead them out of the darkness. The second thing light does is it serves as a guide. Now, a few years ago, Amy and I were on a vacation and uh, we went uh, went caving. Uh, Here in the United States, caving is otherwise known as spelunking. In, in England or Ireland, it's called potholing. Anybody knew that? It's just a little fun, trivial thing you get at Westridge sometimes. Um, but we were, you know, we, at some point, we, I remember being in, in this cave and we had these really high, you know, powered flashlights and we we're on this almost like this little walkway and down there was like, like a big drop off. And the guy, the guy turned around and he goes, turn your lights off. So we turned them off. You could not see a thing. You couldn't even, I put my hand up here. You couldn't even see that your hand in front of your face. And even your, your eyes didn't, couldn't adjust because there was just zero light in the cave. Listen, without your light in a situation like that, what would happen? You'd fall off the path or you'd lose your way out of the cave. And so many people that we know right now are just lost in spiritual darkness. They can't even see the hand in front of their face. They look to the future with no hope. And so oftentimes they turn to wrong things to try to navigate their life through the darkness of life. Jesus calls us lights because we have a responsibility to point people out of the darkness that they're caught in, out of of a life that has no hope or no future, out of a life that is, is, is leading them into eternal darkness. How will that happen? How do we do that? How do we, how do we let our life be a guide to other people? Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 6, uh, five sixteen. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Some I mean, of you, why do we always do Hope for Christmas? Why do we dig wells in Africa? Why are we sending a team to Guatemala next week? Or why do we have guys in Alaska this week? Or why do we send our students on missions trips every year? Why do we plant new churches in places like Boston and Detroit and, and downtown Atlanta? Why do we help people through, throughout the week to just pay their bills or when they're in financial need? Why, do we, why are we doing community makeover? Why do we encourage you to live your life on mission? It's just this simple. So God can use your good works to shine a light into the darkness of people's lives so our lights can guide people to Jesus and so ultimately they will give glory to the Father who is in heaven. That's, that's what Jesus says. But think about this for a moment. God uses our light to guide people out of darkness and straight back to him. Straight back to him. Now here's some challenges when it comes to light. One of the challenges is we've been, we've been called to reflect the right kind of light, the, the light of Jesus I told you earlier that the source of our light obviously is Jesus Christ and we're to be reflectors of that light. However, we have to be careful because there's also someone else in the world who likes to trick people into thinking that he's also a great source of light. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 verse 14 talks about this. It says, for even Satan disguises himself as what? An angel of light. Now, what would attract people to this kind of light? Well, Satan makes it so appealing. He makes it look like the real deal. But here's how you know you have a false light. It's a false light that tells you that God loves you, okay? And he he extends grace. So it's just okay to live however you want to live because God will forgive you. He just wants you to be happy. That's a false light. It's the same light that, that will tell you that all religions lead to the same God. Now, that's very culturally relevant to say. It makes everybody in the room feel all good. But that false light is leading people straight to hell. It's a false light that preaches a false gospel that says that this is all about love and never mentions sin or the consequences of sin. We have to make sure that we're, we're reflecting truth, that we're reflecting the real, the real truth, the real light, okay? Okay? That's a challenge out there because th- those lights are so appealing, but they're false. They're not real. Second thing is we need to make sure we're not hiding our light. Matthew 5, 14, 15. Let me read this again. He says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But instead, where do they put it? They put it on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. Now, back in the day, back in the first century, people would come in. They would turn on their battery-powered Walmart lantern. Not really, obviously, but listen, this is what Jesus has asked you to be, a light on a stand. Matter of fact, he says, put your light on a stand so it can give light to everyone in the room. But what would happen if all of a sudden people back in the day, what what Jesus is talking, He says, what would happen if you took your, you know, $14 plastic Walmart pot and put it over there? I mean, you wouldn't be able to see the light. And Jesus says, a hidden light is a useless light. Just like salt is useless. A hidden light, when you do something like that, it just becomes useless. In other words, don't hide your light. If there was ever a time for us in in this world, in this culture, to shine our lights brightly, it's right now. In the midst of the darkness of this culture. Listen, you need to know, God is still drawing men and women to himself through the power of salvation. A few weeks ago... um, three staff members here at Westridge and myself, we were in Detroit, Michigan, looking at some church planting opportunities, and um, we were driving through Detroit, and as you probably know, Detroit uh, and Dearborn, Detroit, or Dearborn, Michigan, is is one of the fastest growing uh, Muslim populations in, in literally in the entire world. And we met some church planters, actually, who are down in that area reaching Muslim people. And it's amazing because those folks, Muslims, are beginning to ask some questions, some really hard questions about their faith. And I know this sounds crazy, but there are literally thousands of Muslims all over the world that are coming to Christ because God is revealing himself in dreams and visions. Okay, that'll mess with your theology a little bit. But listen, But they're also coming to Christ because Arab Christians and other people like us who actually profess Jesus as Savior are showing them love and kindness. We're acting different towards them than than what they're seeing within their own religion. And it's, it's amazing because they're going, well, maybe Jesus is the answer. Maybe that light is the real light. Listen, God is moving in the midst of all this political craziness in the world right now. You just need to know that. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Let me encourage you to turn off Fox News, turn off CNN. All right? We talk about fake news. Listen, the only place you're not going to find fake news is right here. And this has all the news you need to know how all of this ends. And because we have that, this is not a time to hide our lights. It's not a time to reflect the wrong light. This is a time for us to shine our lights as bright as possible so a lost world can find their way back to God. Now, let me tell you how all these things work together. When when we leverage our influence and we leverage our testimony the right way, we can maximize our effectiveness, effectiveness for Jesus. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, first of all, you need to get your life focused. I wanna challenge you to look at the places where you live, where you work, the people that you hang out, the places where either you or your kids play and ask yourself the question, how can I influence, use my influence and my testimony to be be an, an effective witness for Jesus Christ? What are the opportunities that God has given me right now to add a little flavor, a little zest to my world by showing true love, by showing authentic grace? Where, where are the places right now that, that are around me that, are, that, just, that, that maybe there's some moral decay going on and I just need to pray until there's breakthrough? Where are the places where I need to ask God to use my testimony just to guide some people out of some dark places? And, and who are the people that I need to partner with? What's the small group of, of people that I'm connected to or, or the neighbors that I know or the family members who will do this with me? And what if you just, what if you gathered some neighbors and you just said, listen, we're going to walk, we're going to prayer walk this neighborhood until we see God change it. What what if, what if you and some parents that maybe football parents or baseball or band parents or whatever that looks like, what if you got together and said, we're going to serve this school or this, this program together. And they're going to ask God as a result of our good works to open up conversations, to share Christ with other parents. I've seen that happen personally. What, what if what if you and your small group started just serving together at a place like Warehouse of Hope or or somewhere like Love Beyond Walls or one of our churches downtown? Get yourself focused and 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 get be strategic about your influence and in your testimony. You just have one life, just a certain amount of time. Use it. God's given it to you. He's breathed breath into it. He's He's made you the light of life. Use it for His glory. The second thing is start living worthy of your purpose and your calling. If you're a follower of Jesus, in other words, you profess Jesus as your Savior, you have a purpose and you have a calling on your life. What's your purpose? What's your calling? It's to be salt and light. For God to use your influence and your testimony to lead a lost world back to God. Now you may feel right now like... uh, I don't really have a purpose. I don't really have a calling. Listen, as long as there are still lost people in this world, you still have a purpose and you still have a calling on your life. Number three. Well, let me go back to this. God says, walk worthy of your calling. Now, what does that look like? Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul actually talks about this. And he says this, lead a life worthy of your calling. What does that look like? he goes on to describe what that looks like. He says, always be humble and gentle with each other. Be patient with one another. Make allowances for each other's faults. Stay united in the Spirit and bind yourself together with peace. In other words, how we live, how we treat each other, how, how we love one another makes a huge difference in how the world views Jesus, how they see Jesus. One of the things that has been on my heart since the, 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 the day we rolled into this community almost 20 years ago has just been racial reconciliation and unity in this community. I mean, it's been, it's been hard work. I'll tell you, it's a calling to, to shine a light into the ugly darkness of sin that has plagued this community and our culture for way too long. And over the past few years, as you well know, I mean, there have been some tragic situations that have literally brought, brought light onto this darkness of our culture. And it's allowed us as a church to actually get a little traction in this area in tackling it. And it's creating some conversations and it's allowing people of, of all skin colors and backgrounds to, to sit down and, and just to all of a sudden begin to understand things about each other that we never understood before. And I believe it's calling, it's it's a calling, it's calling the church out. Not just this church, but the church in general. It's calling it out and asking, are you willing to walk worthy of your calling? Are you willing to be salt and light in a, with a very specific, complex, ugly, sinful part of our past, of our culture, of our present? Because if we truly believe that Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel is the answer to all of the world's issues, then the gospel has to be the answer to this issue as well. Don't you think so? And if the church is the vehicle that God has chosen to permeate the darkness and the decay within our society, then then we have the answer. We are the answer. What does that mean? It means we got a job to do. We have to walk worthy of our calling and we got to get to work. Then let your light. Let your life be a source of grace and hope in this world. Listen, we've been called to be change agents, disciple makers, ambassadors of hope, agents of reconciliation and redemption, salt and light. And here's how the apostle Paul prayed for the people in Rome when he when he wrote the book of Romans. You need to know that Rome was a was a was a wicked culture. I mean, I'd been to places in Rome before. I mean, in all over Italy. I mean, it, it, it was a tough tough culture. Moral decay, rot. They, they oppressed other nations, oppressed the Jewish people. Tyrant leadership. And Paul said this in the midst of all of it. He says, here's what I'm praying for you. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's God's desire for you. That, 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 that's what he wants for you, that you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's my prayer for this church. That as we look around our community and all that's wrong with it and just the culture in general and you know, a world that seems to be spinning out of control, that we would be a source of grace and hope to a lost world, that, that the world would be greatly impacted by our influence and our testimony, that we would overflow with the confident hope of the power of the Holy Spirit. Our world needs hope right now. I mean, my goodness, your schools need hope. This culture around us, this community right now needs hope. And God has, he's, he's not only positioned us and empowered us, but he has basically given us everything we need to bring that hope, to spread love, to reflect light, to, to use our influence to make a difference. That's why Jesus looked at the people that he spoke to during that back of that day. And, and honestly, it was a very similar culture. And he said, your salt, your light, make a difference. Make a difference. Let me, let me use your life just just w- when it's the right time just to influence bring some zest bring some flavor bring a just create a little taste draw people back to righteousness let, let me let me shine this light when it's time into the darkness to guide people back to back to me back to a relationship with me that's how i created it to be sin has caused it to fall apart but because you're my plan, salt and light. I'm working in people's lives to draw them back to me. Don't, don't be this. Don't, don't claim to know Christ, but yet have your life so polluted with sin and so polluted with the impurities of the world, just so caught up in culture that God looks at your one and only life with a certain amount of days assigned to you and says, useless I mean can you imagine what if my life looks like that repent repent put it before the cross and when you do guess what come on let's start working again man I've hidden my light I've hidden my light I've hidden my light it's useless hidden light's a useless light you bring that before God you repent of that and God'll turn it back on again Some of you have never, you have never, ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ before. And you're lost in darkness. You're not just lost, you're dead in sin. Today's your day. You're like, what's going on inside of me? It's the Holy Spirit of God convicting you and drawing you into the light of light. Right now is your moment. I want you to bow your head with me you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior this is your moment to say Lord at this moment I repent of my sin I ask you to forgive me Jesus you are the son of God you're the light of life and I put all of my faith and trust in you alone what you did for me on the cross was enough to cover all of my sins including the sins of the world and I rest my faith in that a gift of grace I don't deserve and I ask you to be my personal Lord and Savior oh Lord lead me into a relationship with you right now. If you're just praying that with me, get out your Get Connected card, fill it out, take it to the help center or come forward at the end of the service. We will have some people on both sides of the steps that would love to pray with you. I'll be over here, you can pr- I'll pray with you, all right? Lord, help us to walk, to use our influence and our testimony right now in a very crucial time in the history of our world when you could be lining everything up to come back. Help us to be found faithful, to walk worthy of our calling. Help this church to walk worthy of its calling. Let us be characterized by unity and peace and love and grace and strength and hope. Let us be ambassadors of reconciliation and redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. As we think about all that's going on in our culture, I I know it's overwhelming. Man, you get on social media, you get on Twitter, and you're like, man, the world is falling apart. But listen, we serve an unstoppable God who chooses to fill us with his power so that he can use our lives, so he can use our influence and our testimonies to bring people to himself. It's unbelievable. And he's our hope this morning. He's our power. He's our strength, the very source of our our strength in life. So I want to go out of here worshiping him. I I want to sing about this unstoppable God. I want you to look at the person next to you right now, and I want you to say these words. You are salt. You are light. We've been filled with an unstoppable God. So let's get to work.